0: But, uh, as Jim said, today is just a little different um, because, quite frankly, I'm going to be sharing a topic today that I would prefer not to share with you, and I've earnestly asked God to direct my thoughts and my words and my delivery so that everything that I say would be said in accordance with the Spirit of God, Uh, not just the words that I choose, but also the way in which I share those words, and that God would be glorified of everything that is done in this place. When God called me into the ministry many years ago, I never imagined in all of my life that I would preach a message on a topic like this because I never saw it years and years ago. I never felt in my heart that it, was, that it was something that was in our culture the way it is today. But from what we're seeing today, to be silent is to be complicit, and I cannot be silent. And I feel like we need to share the truth of God's Word and tell people what God's Word has to say. It is not intended to be harsh, but I want you to know it is intended to be firm. And it's not going to be said in fear, but it's going to be said in confidence that what I have to share with you today comes from the Word of God and that it is His Word and not mine. I am accountable to God for every word that I speak from behind this pulpit. And you are accountable to God for every word that you hear. So you take what you hear today and you do with it what God leads you to do with it. Uh, My heart's desire is to be reverent and respectful because I hold you in high regard, I hold this place in high regard, and I don't want to sully this sacred desk by being vulgar or crude, so I'm going to do my best to be tactful, but at the same time, be very pointed with my remarks. Uh, This message itself is going to be preached today not because I'm mad at anybody, not because I want to beat anybody up, not because I get some kind of joy Out of reminding sinners we are sinners. In fact, probably the most offensive thing that you can do is when you remind a sinner that we are sinners. No one likes that. But the reason that I am preaching this today is because it is my solemn conviction that God's Word is His truth to humanity and that it transcends time. It transcends culture, that God's Word is forever settled in heaven, and that it is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I will be accountable for how I handle it, and again, you'll be accountable for how you receive it. So, secondly, I would like to ask, as I just share a brief introduction, is I know that not only are there folk here listening to me today who have your own thoughts and views about the subject at hand but we have many folk who will be tuning in live stream, and, uh, and I recognize that, and I want you to tune in to live stream. I want you to share the video, and, and I want you to invite others to come and to join you either online or either here at the church. Um, but this is not a rally. Uh, this is a worship service. And in a worship service, we acknowledge the goodness of God and we worship Him, we praise Him for His kindness and that we also share His truth and that's what I intend to do today. So, I would ask that you not turn me off or tune me out until you have heard the entirety of the message and that you will honestly listen to the inner promptings of the Holy Spirit as God reveals His truth to all of our lives. I also know that many families in this service and also watching online, you have family members that are caught up in the homosexual lifestyle. And I know your heart is heavy because many of you have shared that with me over the years. In fact, in preparation for this message, I made myself a list, and I tried to remember every person who has shared this with me over the years, several years of ministry, and not just at this place, And I put those names, everyone that I could remember, on a list, and I've been praying for those families. I've been praying for you, and I've been praying for your family, that God would just work in all of your lives, and I stand here as your pastor to say anything that I can do to help you, I will, and anything I can help you to do or to do with your family, I'm a phone call away. I want to speak to you today, a message entitled, In the Beginning, God, A Biblical Ethic, for sexual or uh, human sexuality. In the beginning, God, a biblical ethic for human sexuality. Would you join me in Genesis chapter 1 and stand together as I read to you God's word. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Verse 21. And the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh, and the rib which the Lord God taken from man, he made a woman, and he brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, And we're not ashamed. Father God, this is your holy inspired word. We ask now that you would open our heart, our mind, our ears as we listen to your voice today through your infallible word. So, God, we just give this time to you and we love you and we thank you for giving us a biblical ethic for human sexuality. We thank you that you just didn't leave this for us to figure out on our own, but God, you have given us your guidelines, your principles, your ethic for how we are to express our human sexuality. So God bless this time together, and may Jesus be honored and glorified, may He be lifted up so that others would be drawn to Him. We pray in Christ's name. Amen and amen. You can be seated. The world in which we live is God's world by virtue of creation. His very Word brought life into existence. He said, Let there be light, and all of the darkness ran and hid. He said, Let seed bring forth after its own kind, and the animal kingdom to bring forth after their own kind. And he stood back and he pronounced boldly, and it was very good. The master artist of the universe, he sculpted the beautiful flora, and he decorated this planet with flora. He gave life to the fauna, the animal kingdom, and allowed them to inhabit this beautiful creation of His. And of all that God did to design this beautiful, beautiful world of ours, He did so with boundaries and guidelines that literally hold the world together. You see, God allows the world to spin on the axis the way that it does for a reason. He designed it that way. He allows the sun to rise and set for a reason. He designed it that way. He hung the moon and the stars in the sky for a reason and a purpose. He designed it that way and all of his operational power governs the order of creation. His operational power governs the order of the universe. If God removed his boundaries, his law, his rules that govern the universe, the physical dimension of our universe, by my goodness it would just fly off into oblivion. Isn't that correct? Well, just as God has designed this universe with certain boundaries and certain rules. He has also designed the human uh, sexual experience with certain boundaries and perimeters. They are not designed, they are not there to keep us from uh, enjoying life. Those boundaries and those guidelines are not there to make our lives Sad or unfulfilled, those boundaries and guidelines are there just for the opposite reason, to keep us fulfilled, to help us understand appropriate expressions of our human sexuality that God has given us as a gift. But if you erase the boundaries, then you move off into a no holes barred kind of a barnyard animalistic behavior mentality about human sexuality. And that is a distortion of what God actually intended for it to be. So, we need an ethic to help us understand how to express sexuality to others. And fortunately, we have one. It is called the Bible. Now, I want to talk to you today about that. And I want to look at, in the beginning, God. Before Him, there was nothing. He literally holds everything together. And by His operational order, He has given us a biblical ethic for human sexuality. If you will notice in verse 26, I want you in chapter 1 to circle some very important pronouns. In verse 26 of chapter 1, as the creation of mankind was taken place, notice the pronoun us. God says, let us. Well, who in the world was God talking to? God was the only one there, right? But he uses not the singular, but the plural. He says, let us. Make man, here it is again, in our, not a singular pronoun, but a plural pronoun. Let us make man in our image, here it is again, after our likeness. This is the triune Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, discussing the creation of mankind. Man will be created at a higher order than all of the other creative activities of God. Man will not be... On the same level as the fish of the sea, he will be created to a higher order. He says here, with, with our image, with our likeness, man would not be created on the same level as the animal kingdom. No, no. God says, let us make man in our image. We are the only creatures of God, the only part of God's creation that he stamped With his image. We call that the Imago Dei, that God has stamped his image, his likeness upon all of humanity. That's what separates us from the animal kingdom. That's what separates us from plant life. That's what separates us from the fish of the sea. We have God's stamp of his likeness upon our lives. God has created us with a heart to love God, he has created us with a mind so we can know God, he has created us with a volition. So we can obey God. No other part of God's creation was given that kind of designation. And God says to his highest creation, mankind, go forth, subdue the earth, be good stewards over the earth, and be fruitful and multiply. Well, in chapter 2, God made for Adam a helper, a woman. And the scripture tells us that he made the woman from Adam's rib. And he brought them together as one flesh, and when he did, he established the ethic for human sexuality to be expressed within the covenant of a one-man, one-woman relationship. However, when sin entered the human family, Adam and Eve broke God's covenant. Death entered the world, and a cosmic convulsion rocked the planet. Fear replaced intimacy with God. Instead of running to God, Adam and Eve ran from God. And they hid themselves. And overnight, after sin came into this world of ours, the animals were no longer tame herbivores, but they become wild carnivores. And for the first time, Adam became afraid for his life. And he became afraid of the environment in which he was in. And it was all part of the fall of the universe that God had set in motion and in order. But when his perimeters and his parameters were ignored, chaos ensued. And soon, the memory of Eden was just a faint, 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 distant memory. And the marriage covenant before God between man and a woman was all but forgotten. In Genesis 4.19, you may want to turn to that. Only 19 verses after the fall, the sexual intimacy designed exclusively for husband and wife was spurned. Notice the Bible says, Lamech took for himself two wives, not wife singular, but wives plural. It's the first place you see in the Bible, polygamy. Lamech's personal selfishness set in motion a cascade of polygamous relationships that led to a waterfall of deviant sexual behavior that is punctuated throughout the Scriptures and continues even to this day in which you and I live. Some of the Bible's most prominent characters were caught up in it. Some of the the Bible's most most, uh, uh, influential characters traded their purity for immorality. I think about Abraham and Hagar. I think about Samson and Delilah, David and Bathsheba, King Solomon and his myriad of wives and concubines. And God's continual refrain to them then, as it is for us today, is be holy, even as I am holy. But yet their lack of self-control would bring painful circumstances into their lives. Abraham would lose his son, Ishmael, who, who was sent off into the desert. Samson would lose his sight. David would lose his family. Solomon would lose The entire kingdom. Uncontrolled passions have led to scandals that have caused politicians to lose their office, that have caused high-profile pastors to lose their ministry, and has caused families to disintegrate right before our very eyes. For the past several decades, Americans' preoccupation with sex is like a castaway drinking seawater the more you drink, the more thirsty you become. And the more thirsty you become, the deeper the craving, and you want more and more. But it only leaves you more thirsty until it begins the dehydration process of drawing all of the moisture out of your body and leaves you sick unto to death. According to Covenant Eyes, 90% of teenagers and 96% of young adults are encouraging, accepting, or neutral when they talk about pornography with their friends. By 2025, virtual reality pornography will be a billion-dollar-a-year industry. That is incredibly troubling. But that gives you a little insight into the conditioning that we have been exposed to over the years. Let me illustrate. A few years ago, America's most popular television sitcom was Friends. It had over 60 million viewers. It aired for some 10 years on the most popular shows of all time. And in those 10 years, the six main characters had over 85 different sexual partners. Young people today refer to it as Your body count. What is your body count? Is it any wonder that Western civilization is unraveling when we have moved so far away from the biblical ethic of human sexuality and substituted a fig leaf of our own version of God's truth? I remember watching uh, Congress sometime back in a hearing where a young college student appeared before Congress to advocate that uh, the government buy her birth control. And uh, the debate went back and forth, back and forth, and those on one side of the aisle said, here's a college student who is a young girl who doesn't have a lot of money, who is working two jobs to pay her tuition and her books and to get herself through college so she can uh, have a better life. Of course, of course, of course the government should step in and take care of her birth control for her. The other side of the aisle would say, oh, no, that is a personal responsibility that she's got to pay for her own birth control. Let her do that. And as I'm listening to this debate back and forth, back and forth, I told my wife, I wanted just to kind of step through the television screen, put my arm around that young girl as if she were my own daughter, and say to her, honey, why don't we try God's ethic in all of this? And why don't you look at your life as being so valuable that God has stamped you with the Imago day, made you in His image, And he does not want you to allow a young man to objectify you or take advantage of you. Hold on to your purity and save yourself for your husband. When did the church forget to give that message to people? But yet that is Bible. That is God's ethic. That is God's standard. That is what God says to us in his word. But our society has drifted so far away from that message. When the Bible talks about sexual sins... There are a number that are listed in both the Old Testament and the New. Nine at least. Now, there may be more. This may not be exhaustive, but I believe at least nine that I've moved through and I have jotted them down, and I want to tell you not just what they are, but you listen to their definitions. Adultery. That's a married person with someone other than their spouse. Fornication. That is between people who are not married to one another. Rape, that is non-consensual and forced. All of these are in the Scriptures. Incest, that is the betrayal of children by adults. Prostitution, that is receiving some type of payment. Polygamy, that is having more than one wife at a time. Voyeurism, that is watching others. Bestiality, that is with an animal. And homosexuality, man with man and woman with woman. Listen, these are... These are ugly words. These are dark words and they are uncomfortable to discuss and they draw mental images that we would rather not have. But they are truth nonetheless. And they are considered a condition of which individuals were not born. But these are acts. Let me say that to you again. Of that list that I gave you, none of them are considered to be a condition for which individuals are born. These are acts. These are choices. These are decisions. And every single one is sinful and left unchecked. Every single one can become a way of life. Because of today's climate... I want to spend the balance of this sermon, and I want to talk about the last one in that list, and that is the sin of homosexuality. By the way, I know that many in our culture, it's even a theological, I don't want to say it's a debate, a debate uh, but some would call it a theological debate. It's actually, it's not, not if you believe the Bible anyway, but some would say we don't see it as a sin. May I say to you in all the love that I can, we don't get to decide what's a sin and what's not. God has already decided what that is. And he has told us without reservation, unequivocally, what sin looks like and what it is. So let's just talk about the final one in the list this morning. The sin of homosexuality. Leviticus 18, 22. You shall not lie with man as a male. You you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Leviticus 20, verse 13 if a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. Now I have heard well-men and people say, Pastor Darrell, that's Old Testament. That doesn't apply today. Uh, that was for a, a different generation. But listen, just because a passage of Scripture is from the book of Leviticus or anywhere else in the Old Testament for that matter does not mean that it is irrelevant. Always remember this when you're reading through those kind of passages. There's a difference between God's covenant law and God's moral law. God's covenant law was designed for the Jewish people and he put certain restrictions on their lives to identify them as his people. Restrictions such as a kosher diet, a certain kind of haircut that they were to have, the way their clothing was to look, and even the material that their clothing was supposed supposed to be made from. He also gave them special um, calendar years and just different things to identify them as His chosen people to separate them from the rest of the world. So many of the passages that it talks about in the Old Testament deal with that covenant law to God's covenantal people. But when Jesus came, our identity is found in Him, not in a kosher diet, not in a haircut, not in a certain type of clothing, but our identity is found in Him. That's why the book of Hebrews says, in Hebrews 8:13, the new covenant has made the old covenant obsolete. Not the moral law, just the ceremonial law. God's moral law is the same today as it was when it was written 4,000 years ago. Go home and read the entirety of the chapters of Leviticus 18 and 20, and you will read an entire biblical ethic on human sexuality. And friends, it has never changed because that's God's moral standard. You say, Pastor Darrell, but those passages also say that a person who who, who commits the sin of homosexuality, that they should experience capital punishment. What say you to that? Well, you're right, it does say that. It does indeed say that. But God is not advocating to us here capital punishment for a homosexual. You know what he is really saying about this? He is saying, with this in mind, I want you to see how serious this is. I want you to see how serious it is, but I also want you to know you don't have to worry about a capital punishment because I'm going to send my son, the Lord Jesus, into the world and rather than you suffering for your sins, I'm going to let my son suffer for your sins. So it's a beautiful, beautiful opportunity for God to express how much he loves you and how much he loves the world that he would be willing to send his only son to take my place and to take your place. So the Ugandan government, they certainly have it wrong when they say that homosexuality warrants the death penalty. That's not Scripture, and that's not biblical, but it is a violation of God's moral law. So, from Lamech's polygamy, the downward slide continues to the city gate of Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah, which is found in Genesis chapter 19, and you can turn there, read it later, jot it down, and go back and read it for the sake of time. I can't, I can't read all the passages. Listen, I think I preached an hour, over an hour this morning. I'm not going to do that at the second service, so I'm just going to give you the highlights of that. So Genesis 19, God told Abraham the sin of Sodom was so grave that the city would be destroyed. Abraham intercedes and he says, Lord, if I can find 50 righteous people, would you spare the city? And God says, yes, of course. If you can find 50 righteous, I will spare the city. Abraham says, how about, how about 45? Well, yes, Abraham, for 45, absolutely. How about 40? How about 30? And every time God's refrain is, yes, yes. How about 20? How about 10? And God says, Abraham... If you can find ten righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the city. But it was not to be. The men of Lot's day surrounded Lot's home, and they demanded the visitors be brought out so they could satisfy their carnal desires. In fact, the very name of the city itself points to deviant practices. And Lot pleaded, and he says, Please do not do this wicked thing. And the city had fallen so far from the biblical ethic of human sexuality that ten righteous people could not be found in the city. That night, Lot escapes the city of Sodom and Gomorrah and fire rains from heaven, fire and brimstone, and consumes the city. And for those who would say, it has nothing to do with the sexual preference of people there. That was that was the fact that they were not being hospitable, and I've actually heard that argument. But that person has forgotten that the New Testament commentates on that and gives us a commentary. Listen to Jude chapter one, verse seven. Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them having given themselves over to sexual immorality and perversion. They have served as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. God wrote that not me. The beauty of Eden's garden, when God united Adam and Eve, blessed their union and said, be fruitful and multiply, was long since gone as the city of Sodom, the smoke billowed up to the heavens. In the community of the Uh, the homosexual community, there is an acronym that you are, I'm sure, familiar with that identifies that community today. And I just want to give you um, the explanation for that acronym. It's LGBTQ+. That stands for lesbian, a woman attracted to a woman. Gay, a man who is attracted to another man. Bisexual, Attracted to both men and women. Transgender, a person whose gender identity is different from that assigned at birth. Queer. A gender identity outside heterosexual norms. And then PLUS. That is, a gender identity that is not included in the acronym. A Gallup poll says that the percent of United States adults who identify as something other than heterosexual has doubled over the last 10 years from 3.5% to 7.1%. And there are many, many, many contributing factors as, as to why that number would tick up like that in the last 10 years. But I believe some of the contributing factors, no doubt, are in 2015 when the Supreme Court of the United States Legalized same-sex marriage, and then President Obama illuminated the White House in the rainbow colors of the LGBTQ plus flag, that had opened a Pandora's box to undermine the sanctity of marriage. And I believe, I believe we're going to see it continue to get worse unless God intervenes supernaturally. I want you to know the Supreme Court down here may have ruled and they might have given their ruling, but the actual Supreme Court is in heaven and God has already spoke about what it should be and it's always one man and one woman. And that is the truth of God's Word. God calls the deep sleep to fall on Adam. Some would say that us men, we've been sleeping like that ever since but God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and He took from him a rib and from that one man God took one rib and from that one rib He made one woman to be Adam's lifelong companion, a suitable helper for Adam, was a woman, not a man. For this cause, the Bible says, a man is to leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two would become one flesh. God created the human family as male and female, not non-binary, gender-neutral, gender-fluid, to allow them to decide later who they want to be. He decided them as male and female. That's how he created them, and he created this ethic of sexuality for us to follow. That That is God's truth, and that will always, always be God's truth. It is immutable law of God. But in 1968, homosexuality was listed as a mental disorder. In 1973, the American Psychiatric Association changed it to sexual disturbance disorder. In 1987, it was completely removed from the manual of mental disorders, and the standard today is gay affirmative psychotherapy. The last several decades have witnessed the normalization of homosexual behavior. The Cooperative Baptist Fellowship lifted an absolute prohibition of hiring homosexuals and transgender employees. The Presbyterian Church USA determined that persons in a same gender relationship can be considered for ordination. Pope Francis expressed favor of civil unions for gay couples, exhorting Christians to follow his lead. Over 2,000 churches disaffiliated with the United Methodist Church over its plan to conduct same-sex weddings and ordain homosexual ministers. The culture has moved from normalization of that to celebration of that. Now, of all the lists that I gave you, and again, I told you it may not be exhaustive. Maybe you can find additional uh, sexual sins that the Bible talks about. But of that list of nine that I gave to you, what if others decide that they want to celebrate their own sexuality or their own expression of their sexuality? So we have clubs and we have marches and we have flags for, for anyone who's ever been part of an adulterous situation and we'll have parades and we will fly the flag. What about if it was for voyeurs and they have their own flags and they have their own parades? What if it was polygamists and they have their own flags and they have their own parades and they have their own marches and they infiltrate every segment of human society then perhaps our president could take all of those flags and fly them on the White House alone on the same day. I want you to know that the Bible says that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Homosexuality at its core is an attack against Christianity. What do I mean by that? Listen. First Timothy 3.2 A leader in the church must be faithful to his wife. Again, Timothy 3.12. A deacon must be faithful to his wife. Titus 1.6. An elder must be faithful to his wife. It is clear that the model that is assumed in the New Testament is that it is a man that is married to a woman. That is clear. Marriage between one man and one woman is a picture that Jesus himself chose when he he wanted to illustrate the relationship that he has with me and you. Did you know that? When Jesus wanted to illustrate his relation with the church, what did he say? He is the bridegroom and we're the bride. So to call it anything other than a man and a woman is to smear the very words of our Lord himself. I've heard people say, well, Jesus never said anything about it. So it must not be a big deal. Listen, Jesus said so much about it that I can't give it to you all in one sermon. But if you reduce it down to just this, the basic thing, Jesus quoted the passage that I read to you in Genesis. And Jesus, this is Jesus, he said this. From the beginning of the creation... God made them male and female and for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall be one flesh. But sometimes when an individual is looking to justify a particular sin, they have a hard time finding it in the Bible. But when you really want to get right down to the brass tacks and you have it in your heart, you find it everywhere on on the pages of Scripture. And sometimes what people do is they're looking for a law, even though they live under grace, and they say, because it doesn't say, thou shalt not, then that means God must not be concerned with it. But I want you to know that God's laws now are written on our heart, not on tablets of stone. And if you have God's word really written on your heart, it will be more vivid to you than if it were written on tablets of stone. But yet many folk would want to explain that away and say, well, Jesus never said anything about it. What, what world, what world does that come from? The entire month of June has been hijacked by what's called Pride Month. You may not know this. In fact, I didn't, I didn't know this. Um, but I went back to look to see uh, maybe there are other things in June that, uh, that are declarations. And I found that there are 30 declarations for the month of June. Did you know this? Let me give you a few of them. June is African American Music Appreciation Month. I didn't know that. June is Scoliosis Awareness Month. I didn't know that either. June is Men's Health Month. Hey, June is Adopt-a-Cat Month. Now, how many of you guys knew that? <laughs> I, had, I had no idea. But June is, a, I'm serious, June is Adopt-a-Cat Month. June is PTSD Awareness Month. And 25 more in that list. But which one sucks all of the energy out of the air today? It is Gay Pride Month. Of all of those good things that could be highlighted, which one is it? That gets all the attention. It is Gay Pride Month. Of all of the things that Target, that you could go into their store and find and see, I've never been to Target and them say, today is Scoliosis Awareness Month. Here is is a, a, a whole line of helps for Scoliosis Awareness Month. Or here is a PTSD section month. But I'll tell you what, the one they chose and choose to focus on is Gay Pride Month. It is the same one that Dodger Stadium, where they would have a parade, if you will, of men dressed like women as nuns called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgency, and their own Pride Day at Dodger Stadium do a mock crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ at Gay Pride Month on Family day. Every major league baseball team, football team, basketball team, hockey team, all major sports celebrate Pride Month. But not Adopt-a-Cat Month. PTSD Month. Scoliosis Month. Or the other 25 that are in that list, Disney World, Hollywood, the media, and entertainment, they are drunk on it. I'm going to make my own declaration. Listen, how about we declare that June be Foster Child Awareness Month and spend the whole month talking about the need for parent people to become adoptive parents and help a child? How about we make a declaration and say June is going to be Law Enforcement Month where we recognize and appreciate all of the people who keep order in our society. What if we say June is, June is Veterans Month? And we want to show appreciation for the entire month for every man and woman who's donned the military colors to show them appreciation for what they have done to keep our country free. How about June being Education Awareness Month? And we show appreciation to school teachers, who many of them are underworked. Or excuse me, overworked. Excuse me. Ooh, ooh, I'm married to a school teacher. <laughs> many of them are overworked and underpaid how about how about if we have a month that celebrates that and with so much and so many areas that deserve attention why in the world is energy given and wasted celebrating the selfishness of someone's sexual preference quite honestly I don't want to know anybody's sexual preference And I sure don't want to celebrate it. But yet that's where we are today. The beautiful rainbow is God's promise to mankind. And it has been since Genesis chapter 9. And God's rainbow has seven colors because the number seven is the number of completion. God created the world in six days. He sat down. He rested on the seventh day. It is a perfect picture of the completive work of God's creation. It's the number of completion. But the pride rainbow is not seven colors, it is six colors. And in the scripture, six is the number of man. Man was, was created on the sixth day. And, and the pride flag, rainbow, celebrates man. In fact, the number of man being six, the number of the Antichrist will be six, six, six. I have two questions for churches who adorn their places of worship with pride flags. First of all, have you ever decorated your place of worship with the seven-colored rainbow of God's promise? Have you ever done that? My guess is no. Secondly, why would you celebrate the carnality of fallen man instead of the goodness and the faithfulness of God and His promises? Churches who refuse to speak God's truth on this issue have become apostate. According to Gallup, less than 1% of Americans consider themselves to be transgender. And with all the media coverage that it garners, you would think that the whole world is transgender. But less than 1%. Sex, listen, it's biology. It is based on chromosomes. 99.99% of the cells in the body are marked male or female. Who do you think did that? God did that. At birth, sex is determined by biology, and God designed it that way because He made them male and female. Gender, on the other hand, is not biological. It is social. It is a state of mind. Gender is... Who you say you are, depending on your circumstances. Now a gender confused person may be a biological male, but he feels like he is a woman. Or it may be a biological woman, but she feels like she's a man. And many insist on gender neutral pronouns. No longer he and she. Strike those from the vocabulary. They have their own vocabulary now with many pronouns that they insist that, they, that is used to identify them. And the list changes every day. President Abraham Lincoln once said, How many legs does a dog have if you call the tail a leg? Four. Calling the tail a leg does not make it a leg. Eight. Calling a man a woman does not make him a woman. God created it with a perfect design. I find it interesting that a young girl dealing with anorexia and struggling with body image, she starves herself because no matter how thin she becomes, she sees herself trapped in an overweight body. And we want to help her. And we bring all of our resources to bear to help her come to terms with her reality. She is not overweight She is underweight, but that's not the way she sees herself. And we want to help her see herself the way that she really is so she can be well and so she can be healthy. But there is a different standard for the gender-confused person with this distorted self-image. The trend of culture is reassignment surgery to make biology match your feeling. Society says, if you are a man and you feel like a woman... Dress in women's clothes, go to women's bathrooms, go to, go to women's dressing rooms, compete in women's sports in spite of the fact that there are some young women who have given all of their lives or a good portion of their lives to hone their craft and become great at a particular sport only to have a man who feels like a woman outrun them on the track. How disrespectful would that be for that young girl who has worked and sacrificed And just wants an even playing field. But because someone feels that they are who they really are not, society says, well, you can compete against them. You can win all the records. You can get all the trophies. You can can dominate that sport. And society says, that's okay. And the rest of the 99% of the culture just has to make concessions for you. Listen, as long as your life is governed by your feelings, you will always be off balance and you will never know who you really are. Feelings change with the wind because feelings, that's not who you are. You are who God created you to be. The Bible says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Do you hear that? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Bible says, bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and instead of surgically and chemically reassigning the body to match the feeling, how about we try the biblical ethic of human sexuality and transform the mind? The battleground is the mind. That's why the Bible says, let this mind be in you. I'm not who I my mind or who I think that I am. I am who God says that I am and who God created me to be. But we have it upside down. And life is governed by an ethereal feeling. And because I have this feeling, then that must be who that I am. And in the crosshairs of all of this confusion in our world is our children. In fact, I want to show you a couple of quick little videos. The first one you'll get a kick out of, I believe, because it's Mr. Rogers. And who doesn't love Mr. Rogers? But this is my generation. I'm dating myself, okay? Some of the young folk here are saying, Mr. Who? Who is that? But uh, listen to how Mr. Rogers talked about the very ethic that I'm talking with you about today. Some Let's get us a good volume.
1: Some on the outside. Some are fancy on the inside. Yes, sir, everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy and so is mine. Boys are boys from the beginning. If you were born a boy, you stay a boy. Girls are girls right from the start. When you're born a girl baby, you grow up to be a bigger girl and then a woman. Everybody's fancy, everybody's fine. Your body's fancy and so is mine. Only girls can grow up to be the mommies. Only boys can grow up to be the daddy. Everybody's fancy, everybody's fun. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. I think you're a special person, and I like your ins and outsides. Everybody's fancy, everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine.
0: All right, so that tells you how our generation, our previous generations have been conditioned. Little boys become men. Little girls become women. That's not where we are today. Let me show you where we are today from a brief little video clip called Unmasking Gender Ideology.
2: I would like to thank First Baptist Church, Dallas, and all the team who have been so helpful behind the scenes working for many weeks to make tonight's event happen. Indeed, we'd like to welcome you to Unmasking Gender Ideology, Confronting Transgenderism and Protecting Children. My name, as I said, is Brandon Mark Showalter and I've been a journalist with the Christian Post in Washington DC since the summer of 2016 and I'll be your moderator this evening. I'd like to begin by sharing some words from a four-year-old boy whose name is Jonas. They were captured on home video and featured in the indie documentary called Dead Name by Broken Hearted Films. I was honored to be a contributor in this film that was released right before Christmas. That's this picture, and you can still see it at deadnamedocumentary.com. Let's roll this 15 second clip.
1: If you want girl parts and you don't have them, you can do special surgery where they turn your penis inside out and you do-
2: It's a gut punch, isn't it? Jonas probably didn't even know, little Jonas, what a pronoun even was when he was led to believe by various adults in his life that he was born in the wrong body and that he could irreversibly alter his genitals to become the opposite sex. And he's far from the only one facing this scenario as countless children nationwide, indeed worldwide, now risk their childhoods being uh, swept up into a cult-like contagion And some of them are then exposed to institutionalized medical experimentation, the likes of which we have never seen.
0: A little child cannot determine who they really are. A little child cannot take care of themselves. A little child doesn't know how to survive without the help of loving, caring adults. And they need loving adults to help feed them and clothe them and bathe them and protect them and comfort them. That's what little children need is loving adults who can do that for them. And likewise, little children have not reached a place in their maturity where they know who they are. And what they need is loving adults to come around them and to say, you were born a boy, and honey, you're a boy. And God has great design for your life, or you're a girl. And God made you that way for a reason, and He put His amago day on you, and He loves you, and He has a wonderful plan for your life. But our world is so upside down that we say, there is no identity. You just be whomever you want to be. The Bible says, it is better to have a millstone tied around your neck and cast into the sea than to offend one of God's little ones. Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts can acquire many different patches for accomplishments But one patch has nothing to do with accomplishment or achievement. It is one patch that recognizes the sexual preference of adults. Daisies, which are kindergartners, kindergarten Girl Scouts, listen, can earn a pride patch by attending three pride-related activities. Older girls can can earn a pride patch by attending six pride-related activities. Activities. The devil has targeted our children, but we're going to fight for our children. I have issue, and I reject the idea of a narcissistic man dressed in woman's clothing, reading books to our children in a public library paid by my tax dollars. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 22, A woman should not put on man's clothing and a man should not put on woman's clothing for the Lord your God detests anyone who does this. Bless your heart if you want to dress that way. Go do that somewhere, away where you don't confuse our children. Why in the world, with all the pressures of life that our children have upon them, would we want to introduce them to something that would bring even more trouble and more pressure into their young lives? Why don't we say to our children, listen, go enjoy the innocency of of being a child. Go play ball. Go fish. Go run around with your friends. Go ride your bicycle. Go enjoy life. Why in the world are they introduced to adults? topics when their minds are not old enough to process that it is because the devil has them targeted i would like to go and take children to the children's science museum and not have to walk through a parade of gay flags gay pride flags what in the world does that have to do with science You see, no one could have imagined when Lamech took two wives and lived his own truth that human depravity could sink to such a a deplorable level. But if we do not have revival in America, we ain't seen nothing yet. I want to begin to bring my remarks to a close because I I told you I'm not going to preach an hour. But I want you to turn to Romans chapter 1. And it is so important because this is the most politically incorrect passage in the Bible today, I would say. And it is a passage that talks about the topic I've been sharing with you, but I think think the root of this is man's rebellion to God. And I'm just going to read it to you. Romans chapter 1, let's look in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which that may be known of God is manifest to them, for God has shown it to them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because that when they knew not God, or excuse me, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. "'Neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became as fools. They changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible men, to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves.' Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed ever and ever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which was against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of the error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things that are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness. And then he mentions several things from our list. Fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, uh, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parent, without understanding, covenant breakers, without uh, natural affection, um, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Please note three things that he says about that. Their bodies are dishonored, verse 24. Their passions are degrading, verse 26. And their minds are depraved, verse 28. When society rejects God, you see his response in triplicate. Verse 24, God gave them up. Verse 26, God gave them up. Verse 28, God gave them over. I don't think he's saying that God gives up on people. But I think what he is saying is if this is the direction that a society wants to go, I'm going to let them go and go that way. Now, let's do this. Because I'm going to close. If you'll give me five minutes. I want to close this morning by directing my, my following remarks to those who are part of the LGBTQ community. Maybe you're listening and watching by live stream. And again, remember our deal was at the start that you would hear me out and that you would not turn me off. Please listen just for a few more minutes. So I want to direct my words to you. I'm going to give you five brief things. Number one, you are being lied to. The entire homosexual agenda is rooted in evolution. Secular psychologists who reject the existence of God believe that you are simply a product of evolution. Here by chance, No different than plant life, no different than animal life, that you have no intrinsic value or worth. You are just like the animals of the field and the fish of the sea and the plants that grow on the mountainside. But you're being lied to because God's Word says that you are created In the image of a holy God who stamped you with His likeness and He wants you to have the abundant life and He loves you more than you would ever understand and He welcomes you into His family. Number two, I know Pride Month is important to you, but please listen to me. Webster defines pride as, quote, a feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements, end quote. Pride is the original sin that caused Satan to be expelled from heaven. Jesus said, I beheld Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And when Satan fell and he came into this world, the Bible says he is a liar and he is the father of all lies and his mission is to kill and steal and destroy and he desires to wreck your life and condemn your eternal soul. And that, friends, is the truth. God says that he welcomes those who come to him with a broken spirit and a contrite heart. The Bible says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Number three, a homosexual relationship, however committed and however loving, is a violation of God's design. And my heart is heavy for you. And though I disagree with you, I do not hate you. I have no hate in my heart for anyone. In fact, I love you. And more importantly, God loves you. And I'm here and I want to help you in any way that I can. A study from Vanderbilt University found that 83% of homosexuals reported adverse childhood experiences such as sexual or emotional abuse. And if that happened to you, I am very sorry that that has been a traumatic, painful part of your past. The Trevor Project found nearly half of homosexual youth consider suicide. And I know many will say it is because of the social isolation and rejection that you feel from society. And no doubt that could be a contributing factor. No one should be bullied. No one should be mistreated. No one should be unloved. Nobody should be humiliated. No one should be despised. And I know social isolation can be a contributing factor to make a person in that lifestyle feel depressed and alone and isolated. I know that. But have you ever considered this? Maybe part of the way you feel is because God has stamped you with His image and His likeness and the way you've chosen to live is antithetical to His image and likeness on your life and it creates all kinds of negative emotions in your heart and life. It is unbiblical to be unloving and unkind. To be intolerant is unbiblical. However, welcoming you in love is not affirming your behavior. And in this place, you will always hear God's truth. Are you welcome? My goodness, yes. But you will hear God's truth. Number five. I know this sermon stings, but listen. If only sinners were welcome in this place, this building would be empty today. I know this sermon stings, but it is true nonetheless. And I want you to hear me. This is number five, and I'm going to close. The one true God of this universe is not the God of your imagination, and He is not the God you want Him to be. And I'm not going to sugarcoat this, but I will let his word speak for himself in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And I tell you this with the love of God in my heart, that the only way that anyone can inherit eternal life and to be saved is to forsake your sin and to come and be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ who died for you on the cross of Calvary. God's Word is clear. If we don't long for Him, we will long for something else. And His Word is very, very clear to us. If we do not repent and return from our sins, then we condemn ourselves to an eternity in hell where the worm does not die and the fire is never quenched. The bad news is we are all sinners. But the good news is that God's God commended his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you only knew how very much God loves you and how intrinsically valuable you are to him, whatever lifestyle you have chosen to live, His invitation to you is forsake that lifestyle and turn, take up your cross and come and follow me and you will have friends. I want you to know a wonderful, abundant life in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you do not, you can never stand before God and say, I didn't know. No one ever told me. I didn't know. Because you know, God has stamped it on your heart. Nature speaks to it. My words will come back and ring truth in your ears. And I want you to know that had you been the only person, God would have still loved you enough to send His Son to die for you. And He welcomes you today. And again, many may be watching live stream or on television at a later time. Some may be here, and we're going to have an invitation and simply make the appeal for right where you are, between you and God, you bow your head and you say, God, I'm sorry. And I forsake my sin, and I turn to Jesus, who died for me, who conquered the grave, who rose victorious, and I ask the blood of Jesus to cleanse my heart, And to save my soul. The Bible says, of all who come to him, he's never rejected one yet. And he won't start with you.